Let's spend some time in prayer. Good morning, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are the one true God, and we're here to worship you. You alone are worthy of our worship, Creator, Savior, Holy One. When we look at you, we see ourselves so differently. So we confess to you our sins, those things we did and said and thought this week we ought not to have, and the things we've left undone we ought to have done. Lord, forgive us. Individually, Lord, as a church, Lord, our nation has forgotten you. Lord, forgive us. Lord, we're here because we're a needy people, not because we're good, but we recognize how much we need you. You know our needs. Lord, meet our needs. Lord, we're here today, too, because we need your word. And so as we open your word and read it together, Holy Spirit, teach us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you're new, we've been studying through this book together, and we're at the very end of chapter 6, two verses left. So, uh, so this is just a couple of verses. Would you stand? That's the tradition of some churches when God's word is read that we would stand to pay attention. 1 Timothy 6, verse 20, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter, and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith, grace be with you. Uh, you may be seated. Uh, remember what last Sunday was? Anybody remember? It was Father's Day, and my wife gave me this sweet card. It says, Happy Father's Day to a husband who has it all. So true. I have Jesus, a wonderful wife, six kids. To happy Father's Day to a husband who has it all. Then you open it up, there's a little pop-out, but just doesn't know where it is. <laughs> and then it says, honey, have you seen my phone? So I'm not making this up. I get this on Sunday, and on Monday I'm hungry at lunchtime, and I go to this restaurant, and, and I'm glad I did this before I ordered, and I reach in my pockets, and I can't find my wallet. So obviously Karen knows me very, very well. That I have everything, but I have no idea where anything is. And what we're going to learn is being a Christian is a lot like that. The point of today's message is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That when we put our faith in Jesus, we get it all. But most of us have no idea what we have in Jesus. And so what I want this morning to be, I want us to be little kids on Christmas. I mean, little kids on Christmas, the tree is surrounded by presents, right? And you can't wait to open each of them up and see all that we have. And that's what we're going to do today. We're just going to unpack a little bit all that we get when we get Jesus, because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Now, our purpose as a church is to make disciples together. And uh, what we've really been enjoying doing this year in Timothy is we've been able to listen in to a disciple-making meeting that years before that Paul had led Timothy to faith in Christ, he's now a pastor, and, and Paul is, is teaching him how to be an effective pastor and disciple-maker. Did you notice how the passage begins, O Timothy? One of the things we learned from, the, from Jesus is that disciple-making is very relational, 
And Paul was very relational as he was passing on his faith and discipling Timothy. Oh, Timothy. And now, listen, his last words. Now, um, you ever watch a carpenter? Well, I'm not one, but you watch them. They kind of get the nail really in there. They pound it down in there, and then they'll take one big and what? They'll set it in there and really hit it. So all along, Paul's been tapping, 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 tapping on the nail. And this is his last one. And so when he pounds it into the wood, here's what he says. Guard what has been entrusted to you. All that I've been teaching you all this time. And then he says, guard what has been trusted in you. So let me ask you, what do we guard? We guard what? Precious things, right? I mean, you don't have to guard things that aren't precious because nobody wants it. But you guard precious things. And to be entrusted means that someone has entrusted to us something incredibly valuable. And we are called to guard that treasure. So I want you to know that this is the second time the word entrusted occurs in 1 Timothy. Back in January, when we were in chapter 1, verse 11, we learned what was entrusted to us. So in chapter 1, verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So we've been entrusted with something. What we've been entrusted with is the gospel, which means good news. And it's not just the gospel. It's the glorious gospel. And it's not just the glorious gospel. It's the glorious gospel of the blessed God. And remember what the word blessed means? It means happy. The word there is makarios in Greek, the glorious gospel of the happy God. And do you know how staggering that was in the world at that time? Because the ancient gods were grumpy. Did you know that? They were. The ancient gods were grumpy. And the whole purpose of worship was that they would cheer up the grumpy God. But that's not the gospel. We were reminded last week the story of creation is there's one God. But within the one God, there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God is so full of love and so full of joy that God decided to expand the family so that we could experience his love and joy forever, that we could be happy with God forever. That's the God of the Bible. Not a grumpy God, but a happy God, so full of love and joy, he decided to expand the family and include us. And then even when our first parents sinned against God, God didn't give up on us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit decided to work together so that we could experience his love and joy forever, that we could do life with the happy God now and forever. That's the glorious gospel of the happy God. Now let me ask you a question. What keeps us from being happy? What robs us of happiness? Is that not the bad news of the gospel? Do you know the Bible teaches what robs us of happiness are two things, sin and death, that sin and death are what rob us of happiness. In Romans 3, verse 23, would you read this with me? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I read that by myself. Help me out, okay? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So who does the Bible say has sinned? Who? All of us and. That's especially true of me. So the first question is, uh, who sinned? And the Bible says, all of us have. The second question is, what is sin? And I want you to know that sin is a crime against God. That's why it's so bad. I have asked hundreds, if not thousands of people, why should God let you into heaven? And so many people say, I'm a good person. I've never hurt anyone. I mean, 
you do want to ask them a question, like, can I ask your mother? You've never heard any, can I ask your wife? Can I ask your, you've never heard anyone? But you know what doesn't enter their minds? Sin is primarily a crime against God, not against other people. Did you know that? The Bible says against you, you only have I sinned, that sin is a crime against God. That doesn't even enter into most people's minds. Listen, what sin is, is we break God's laws and we break God's heart. That's why sin is so bad. It's a crime against God where we break his heart and his laws. And, and we can do that with our thoughts of pride, envy, and coveting, and jealousy, right? We can do that with our words if we take God's name in vain or say something unkind about something. We can do that with our deeds as we disobey our parents or steal, right? Oh, why are we unhappy because of sin? Why are we unhappy? Because sin brings death. Let me show you that. In Romans 6, verse 23, we read, For the wages of sin is death. We were created to live forever. We were created to live forever. We say, well, what happened? Well, our first parents sinned against God, and when they did, they died. Listen, there's three kinds of death. It's so important we understand that. The moment our first parents sinned, they died spiritually. They were separated from God. That's why we're unhappy people, because we're separated from the God who made us for himself. When they sinned, not only did they die spiritually, but they began to die physically. Sickness came into the world, and, and listen, we die physically when our bodies and spirits are separated from each other. And then there's eternal death, which is the separation of our body and spirit from God for, forever. So the reason we're unhappy is we've sinned against God. Because of that, we're spiritually dead, separated from the one who's happy. We're headed toward physical death, and if we die without Jesus, we're headed to eternal death, which is hell itself. That's the bad news of the gospel. Now notice it goes from the bad news to the good news for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That Jesus came into the world to deal with sin and death because sin and death are what prevent us from experiencing happiness. So Jesus is God the Son who came into the world to do everything necessary to take care of our sin and death problem. So Jesus lived a perfect life, and then he went to the cross, and he died on the cross in our place. Once and for all, he took our sin, he paid the wages, he died, and he paid it in full, crying out from the cross, it is finished, paid in full. And how do we know that the penalty for sin had been paid in full? Because Christ died and he was buried, but the third day he walked out of the grave. If someone broke the law and they were sentenced to 15 years in prison, after 15 years they could go free because the debt was paid. So when Jesus walked out of the grave, he proved that he had conquered sin and death and he could deal with our sin and death problem. So he offers us a free gift, the greatest free gift ever, the gift of eternal life, the forgiveness of our sins, and the chance to do life and eternity with a happy God. And how do we get this free gift? How do we get it to and Jesus taught us how, didn't he? In John 6, verse 47. Would you read this with me? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. When you see truly, truly, you know what that means? Hey, this is important. Don't miss this. But I want to ask you a question. Who does Jesus say has eternal life? Who? Those who believe. So that raises a really important question, which is what? Well, what does it mean to believe? I mean, doesn't everybody believe in Jesus, don't they? 
And so listen, it's important to understand what saving faith is. We like to say there's three components, as simple as A, B, C, where we admit and believe and commit. And listen, if, if you've never believed in Christ and, and you'd like to be forgiven and, and do life and eternity with a happy God, here's how simple it is. It starts when we admit there was a day where I said, Jesus, I've sinned against you and, and I'm sorry. And if you've never done that, won't you do that now? But I'd be glad to assist you when we close in prayer. We admit that we're sinners and then we believe, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And then we commit to Jesus as Savior. And Lord, Jesus, come in, be my Savior. And Lord, forgive me. Give me eternal life and help me be the person you want me to be. Won't you do that? Oh, and, and if you have, don't you hear what Jesus says? I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. The moment we believe, we are forgiven of all of our sins and we get to do life. We get to do eternity with the happy God. And you know what happens when Jesus moves into us? He says, I want to raise your joy level. Did you know that? I want to raise your joy level because Jesus says we have a joy problem, but it's not what you think. He doesn't say we have too much joy, we need to tone it down. He moves in and says, I want to raise your joy level. Let me show you that. In John 15, verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Jesus wants us to have more joy. I know some of you, but wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought God wanted us to be holy and not happy. Hear what's wrong with that question? What's wrong with that question? It's assuming that if you're holy, you're not happy, and if you're happy, you're not holy. Listen, our God is holy and happy. And God gave us the Ten Commandments so that we could live a holy and happy life. Only one person has ever, only one person has ever kept the Ten Commandments. And it was a beautiful life. He was both holy and happy. Some of you still aren't convinced, so let me remind you, what was the first miracle that Jesus did? What was it? He turned the water into wine, didn't he? Why? To keep the party going, right? And what was Jesus accused of? Was he accused of being miserable? What was he accused of? Being a drunk, right? A wine-bibber and a glutton. Why? Because he had too much fun. He said, our problem, right, is, is too little joy, not too much. I want to raise your joy level. When we believe in Jesus, he gives us the Holy Spirit, right? And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Wow. Shouldn't we stand out in our culture that when the Holy Spirit moves in, the fruit is love, joy? Talk about a holy, happy life. Imagine our lives were filled with this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Would that not be both holy and happy? So what is the glorious gospel of the happy God? It's about a God who did something about our sin and death problem so that we as sinners could be forgiven and do life and eternity with the happy God so that we could follow Jesus in this life and be reasonably happy in this life because we know we'll be supremely happy in the life to come. Okay. Now back to 1 Timothy 6. Guard what has been entrusted to you. 
So it's very, very important if we're called to guard something <laughs> that we know what we're guarding. We're guarding the gospel, right? We're guarding the bat, the, the, the Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We're guarding the gospel. And, and I want you to know if we're to guard it, we need to know what it is. So there's three parts. You hear it every week, right? Come on. What is the gospel? It has what? Come on, you hear it every week. Please help me. It has bad news and good news and then our part. If we're going to guard it, we need to know what we're guarding. Listen, we're guarding the bad news, sin and death. We're guarding the good news, the person and work of Christ, that Jesus is God who became a man and lived and died and was buried and rose from the dead. We're guarding the gospel. Our part is to believe, right? We're guarding the gospel against those who want to take away from the gospel. And there are those who want to add to it. Don't we see that? We live in a time where people want to take away from the gospel. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about the bad news. Just tell people to accept Jesus. Don't mention the bad news. That's offensive to people. Listen, if there's no bad news, there's no gospel. If there's no bad news, there's no need of a savior. There are people who want to take away the bad news. There's people who want to take away the good news. There are people today that deny that Jesus is fully God and fully man. There are people today who want to take away and deny the virgin birth. They want to deny that, <clears throat> that Christ rose from the grave, right? Uh, there are people who want to uh, deny that. Matter of fact, in the progressive church, they say that Jesus dying on the cross at, at, for our sins is is child abuse. It's cosmic killjoy. The cosmic child abuse. Cosmic child abuse. That, that the substitutionary atonement of Christ dying on the cross for our sins is cosmic child abuse. The very center of the gospel. So there are people who want to take away the bad news. They want to take away the good news. Who want to take away our response. Listen, you don't need to believe in Jesus because everybody's going to heaven in the end. Just like there are people who want to take away from the gospel, there are people who want to add to the gospel. They want to add to the gospel, and that's what's happening here. <clears throat> Avoiding worldly and empty ch chatter and opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and gone astray, people were being led astray. Understand the gospel. Grace be with you. There were, when Paul lived, there were Judaizers who would follow after Paul, uh, and they would say believing in Jesus is important, but it's Jesus plus being circumcised equals everything. It's Jesus plus keeping the Mosaic law. That's what brings you everything. And um, then there were Gentiles. And the Gentiles would say believing in Jesus is important, but it's Jesus plus the special knowledge. It's Jesus plus the special knowledge equals everything. And so there are many today who do the same thing. It's Jesus plus us doing our part. I mean, Jesus does his part, but it's important. We have to do our part, right? And that's what brings everything. I mean, Jesus makes the down payment on the house, but you have to keep up the monthly payments through what you do. No, no, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The only thing we contribute to our salvation is what? Is our sin, which makes it necessary. All we contribute is our sin, which makes it necessary. And if you insist, I might say there's one more thing we contribute. That's our resistance to the gospel. Oh, how we resist it. And we need the Holy Spirit to soften our hearts and draw us to Jesus. 
Um, listen to this. In Philippians 1, verse 6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. What does it mean that Jesus plus nothing equals everything? <laughs> it's that Jesus started a work and Jesus finishes the work. It means that Jesus invites us to follow him, to follow him and to do life and eternity with a happy God. It means he invites us to follow him so that we can be reasonably happy in this life, knowing that we will be supremely happy in the life to come. So, so, so far we've learned that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And, and now I want to get to the action step of this week. I'm going to teach you how to do something. It's one thing to know Jesus plus nothing equals everything, but I want to teach you how to live Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let me show you how. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. What do we mean when we say live life, Jesus plus nothing equals everything? It means when we get Jesus, that Jesus is the way. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. So this week, when you get up, why not read John 14, 6 every day and say, Jesus, I'm so thankful you're the way. You're the way. I mean, aren't you glad Jesus is the way? I mean, religion says that you have to be good to go to heaven. How would you do if you had to be good to go to heaven? How well would you do? Uh, I wouldn't. You know what Jesus says? That all we need to go to heaven is to admit we're not good. Uh, I can do that. How about you? I mean, can you imagine if you had to be good to go to heaven, the question would be what? How good would you have to be? And how would you ever know? How would you ever know whether you were good enough? And what if... The last thing that happened into your life was someone came into your lane and they're driving and the last words out of your mouth weren't nice. What about you? I mean, eternity's a long, long, long time. And if there's one thing we want to get right, it's where we're going to spend eternity. And Jesus makes it so simple. He says, I'm the way. Let me show you that. In John 20. Have you ever read the Gospels and wondered why did they put these things in and leave other things out? Have you ever wondered why there are certain things that are in and others that are? Well, John tells us why. Listen, in John 20, verse 30, Jesus says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. He said, the most important thing in life is to know where we're going to spend eternity. And I picked the things that I thought would help you to understand the gospel and believe and have eternal life. So John wrote his gospel so that we would know Jesus, believe in Jesus, and have eternal life. That we would follow Jesus and experience forgiveness and do life and eternity with a happy God. But then later, John would write his letter. And in 1 John 5... I want you to notice why he wrote his letter. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. That's what we learned in the gospel. He's given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God. That's what we do through the gospel. So that you may know that you have eternal life. 
I talk to people all the time. Do you know you're going to heaven? Well, I hope so, or I think so. Do you see what this verse is saying? <clears throat> see my pen here. It says, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. My pen is eternal life. And my Bible, my Bible is Jesus. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. It's in the son. And he says, he who has the son, if we've admitted and believed and committed, and we have the son, we also have the life. But do you know what he's saying? If we don't have the son, we don't have the life. Oh, man. This week, listen, let's do life. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus, I'm so thankful you're the way. I'm so thankful you're the way. I'm so thankful I know where I'm going to spend eternity. So let's enjoy the way. But let's share the way. I mean, when we have the cure for sin and death, Listen, we simply must share it with others, right? Why not ask someone this week, how do you think a person can go to heaven? If you're with someone this week and, and, and they've done something bad, say, yeah, what do we do with our sins? I mean, do you think it's possible for a person to be forgiven and, and share with them what you learned? Oh, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. Wow. Jesus, you're the way. We get to do life with the truth. Aren't you glad that there's truth? Aren't you? I mean, we live in a very confused culture, and we get to do life with the truth. And notice what Jesus says, I am the truth. That means truth exists. It means truth is knowable. It means truth is knowable in a person. And that when we get to know truth, truth is beautiful because Jesus is the truth. So after we put our faith in Jesus and Jesus says, follow me, we begin to ask him questions, right? Because he's the truth. Well, where did everything come from? And Jesus says, what well, God created everything out of nothing. And we say, well, what happened to the world? Why is it so broken? And Jesus says, because our first parents sinned and sin wrecked everything. And we say, well, how do we fix it? And Jesus didn't say elect the right person. He said, you can't fix it, but I can. And, and so we believe in Jesus because Jesus is the one who changes people and changes things. And where is history headed? Jesus said he's coming back and he's going to make all things new. Well, we learn from Jesus the answers to life big questions, creation and, and fall and redemption and consummation, right? We live in a very morally confused culture, don't we? We're deeply divided over so many issues, right? How do we know what's right and wrong? How do we know the truth? What did Jesus say? He said, what? You guys there, what did he say? I'm the truth. I'm the truth. Are you confused? He says, what? Come to me. Come to me. I am the truth. Aren't you glad in a confused culture that we know Jesus who is the truth? And I've taught you before, and I'm going to teach you again because we forget way more than we remember. How do we know something is true? There's two ways. There's the standard of truth and the evidence of truth. There's the standard of truth and the evidence of truth. The standard, Jesus says, I am the truth. Everything that conforms to Jesus is true and right for everyone, everywhere, all the time. Everything that deviates from Jesus is wrong and untrue for everyone, all the time. Does it conform to Jesus? The second is the evidence of truth. We have eyes. Does it conform to reality? Things that are true conform to reality. The two questions we always ask is, does it conform to Jesus and does it conform to reality? 
I was a social work major in college, and I was taught that all the problems in the world come from ignorance, and the answer to all of our problems was an education. So as a Christian, what do I do? I asked, does that conform to Jesus? It's not what Jesus taught. And then secondly, I looked at the world, and you know what? It didn't fit the world either, because I saw very educated people who still had problems. But when I come to Jesus and I ask, what's wrong with the world? He says sin and death. That's the standard. How do I know that's truth? When I look at the world, I see what Jesus says is true. It conforms to reality. Why is love good? Why? Why is love a good thing? People say, but why, why is it good? Here's why. Because what? The standard Jesus is love, right? Jesus, the standard Jesus is love. It conforms to the standard. Not only that, but it conforms to reality. When we see husbands loving their wives or moms loving their children, we say, well, that's right. That's good. That's beautiful. Because it conforms to the standard and to reality. Why is hating people wrong? Why is it wrong? because it deviates from the standard. It's not what Jesus is like. And listen, when we see a husband who hates his wife or parents hating their children, we say, that's not right. So, we live in a culture that's continually lying to us. We're continually hearing that, like, like for example, that people are not binary. It's not just male and females. And so we hear that in our culture. So what do we do? We come to the truth, right? And we ask, what did Jesus teach? And when Jesus was asked a question, what did he say? Haven't you read that he who created from the beginning made them what? Male and female. So that's the standard. Jesus says there's male and female. Does it conform to Jesus? But secondly, does it conform to... Re what happens when we look at the world around us? We see cats. How do they come? Male and female, right? And we see dogs. And how do they come? Male and female, right? And we see people, and how do they come? Male and female, how do we know it's true? Because of the standard of truth, it conforms to Christ, and the evidence of truth, it conforms to reality. That's why I'm so, so thankful to be a Christian. I don't have to wake up every morning and go online and see if any new letters have been added to the LGBTQ formula, right? Oh, because Jesus is the truth. And the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't you glad? And you know what he said in John 8? Every morning when I get up, I get to have breakfast with the truth and be reminded of the standard of truth and the evidence. And here's what Jesus said. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. I am so thankful to know Jesus, aren't you? To have truth in a confused culture. Huh. So let's enjoy Jesus. Let's enjoy doing life with the truth. But listen, when we have truth in a confused culture, we can't keep it to ourselves. We simply must share it with others. When you hear people saying that those people are wrong, why not ask people, how do you know what's right and wrong? I mean, how do we know something's right? How do we know something's true? And if they ask you back, you know, right? Because I taught you about the standard and the evidence, right? Oh. Listen, to do life, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Each day this week, Jesus, 
you're the way. And I'm so thankful you're the way. And you're the truth. And I'm so thankful we get to do life with the truth. Notice, and the life. Now, I want you to know the, the main phrase here is, is Jesus is the way. Because what he's really saying is, I am the way. Uh, you know, to spend eternity with God and the truth. That is, I really did live and die and rise, and I am the life. And then make sure we understand that he says, no one comes to the Father but through me. Uh, but I think most of us, we kind of grow through this. I believe we start the Christian life, and we believe Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way to heaven. And then as we begin to follow Jesus, we begin to understand he's not just the way, he's the truth. Oh, and then one day we realize he's not just the way and the truth. He is the life. Doesn't the Bible say that knowing Jesus is eternal life? Wow, what makes life worth living is we get to do life with a friend whose name is Jesus. And we get to do life with a purpose big enough to give our lives to, right? Listen, Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. And we get to do life in eternity with a happy God, being reasonably happy in this life because we have a friend and a purpose, and supremely happy in the life to come. Um, let me show you that in Philippians 1, verse 21, what's so cool is when Jesus becomes our life, we smile a lot. You know why? Because we can't lose. We can't lose. Because listen to what Paul said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Wow, if Jesus is my life, if my life is about Jesus doing life with my friend, telling others about him, then if, if I live, it's about Christ. And if I die, it gets better because I go from walking by faith to walking by sight. Should we stand out in our culture of a people who realize they can't lose because to live is Christ and to die is gain? But if I am to live on in the flesh, <clears throat> this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions. I mean, there's part of me that wants to stay here. There's part of me that wants to go home. Anybody else ever feel that way? So did Paul. But notice what he said. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ is very much better. Oh, man, we're going to be supremely happy in the life to come. Now, I love superlatives, don't you? It's going to be better. But that's not enough. It's, what, it's going to be much better. Even that's not enough. It's what? It's going to be very much better. Isn't it great to know Jesus? To do life knowing that whether we live or die, listen, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. But notice what he says, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Once we believe in Jesus, our eternity is secure and we're here on earth for others. The reason we're still here is there's 200,000 people in our county who don't know Jesus. And we do. And we're here for others so that everyone in our county would have the opportunity to hear the gospel from a friend. And that's why we want to make disciples who can make. That's why we're here for others. And when our purpose on earth is home, it's going to go better, get better. And we're going to go and be with Jesus forever. So this week, let's enjoy doing life with Jesus, with a friend and with a purpose. But listen, let's not keep him to ourselves. When we're with people and they say, I'm so lonely. Hey, could I always share with you a friend of mine? Man, when he moves in, he never leaves. Wouldn't you like to know him? When we're talking with people, they talk about how, how their life is empty. Why not say, hey, listen, could I share with you about my friend? He's given me a purpose that has filled my heart. Wouldn't you like to have a purpose in life big enough to give your life to? You can, you know. You really, really can. 
Um, so what have we learned today? We've unpacked a lot of things, right? That what we've learned is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Man, when we get Jesus, we get forgiveness. We get a chance to do life and eternity with a happy God. That we get to be reasonably happy in this life. No, we're going to be supremely happy in the life to come. And so our assignment is to live Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Oh, Jesus, you're the way. Thank you. You're the truth. Thank you. You're the life. Let's pray. Jesus, you're the way. Thank you for providing the way for sinners like me. Lord, thank you for providing a way for sinners like me, like all of us, to be forgiven and live forever. Thank you for dying in our place. Thank you for rising and offering us eternal life. Oh, if you'd like to be forgiven, if you'd like to do life and eternity with the happy God rather than apart from Him, He's here. Won't you just tell Him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe that that you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and be my Savior and Lord. Forgive me. Give me eternal life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Well, if you've done that for the first time, way to go. Won't you mark that on their card and put it in the box? We'd love to celebrate with you. Or tell someone, tell me I'd love to celebrate with you. Jesus, I pray for those of us who know you that we would do life with you this week, that we would enjoy the way. And Lord, as we see people around us who don't know the way, give us opportunities to share the way. Jesus, we're thankful we get to do life with the truth. We get to follow you. Lord, help us to enjoy the truth. And as we see confused people around us, Lord, help us this week to share the truth. Oh, Lord, we're so thankful that we get to do life with you, a friend and a purpose. Help us to enjoy doing life with you this week. And, Lord, as we see lonely and empty people around us, help us to share you with them. Lord, we need you. That's why we're here. <clears throat> so will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? We pray in Jesus' name.